and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are here and we've got a lot of updates for you on some of the happenings that have taken place in the past few months. It has been a very exciting summer in the true crime world and there are just... There's a lot afoot here. There's a lot yes. to talk about. And a lot that we've covered already, too. We're coming back to. Yes. Yeah. It's a big recap day for us. So wanted to start off with one of our favorites, and it is the case of Gypsy Rose Blanchard or Blanchard. And I will say this year's Halloween costume, which does make me feel a little bad, but like. I very don't know. funny. It though. is very funny. Yes. Yes, yeah. a fan favorite costume over here. Yes, such a big t- costume. People are dressing up as Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose. And all you need is a wheelchair and a couple. And an old lady hat. And- oh, yeah, and you're <laughs> in business. And don't forget that teacher smock dress from Ooh. second grade for Dee Dee there. Hideous. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. All you need is Munchausen's and you're halfway yeah, there. Then yeah, you're, then you're more than more than good. Exactly. But Gypsy Rose, our good friend, you guys might remember her as the girl whose mother had horrible Munchausen's and this mental illness caused her mother, Dee Dee, to basically convince every doctor that Gypsy ever had that she had a bunch of different incurable illnesses. And it got so bad that Dee Dee used to feed Gypsy drugs that would induce the symptoms that were associated with these illnesses that she pretended that Gypsy had. Yeah. So it's scary. They were so bad. The one thing I remember, which like terrifying for us in its own right, one of the medications, I guess, had severe side effects on her teeth. And so like at a very young age, she had all her teeth pulled and has dentures now. Yeah, it's horrible. And she is our age. She's 32 years old. And it's just horrible that this happened to her. I can't believe how cruel and nasty this mother's uh, psychological condition caused her to be and for gypsy for years too that's the thing like years and years and you know gypsy outwardly looked like a very disabled child and so Dee Dee looked like oh my god this loving mother has just devoted her whole life to her child which is exactly what a person with munchausen's by proxy wants they want the pity they want the attention they want the accolades of being this incredible mother caretaker whatever and oh, it just played right into her hand every time these people would give Gypsy a handout, a trip to Disney, a house. Remember Habitat oh. for Humanity and built them a whole house? Built them a whole house. And it was fake the whole time. And yeah, it's crazy. You might recall that uh, Dee Dee convinced different doctors and whole communities of people that Gypsy suffered from different forms of cancer, that she had a salivary gland disorder, that she couldn't walk. That's crazy. I mean, there were just innumerable different conditions that Gypsy was alleged to have suffered from. Meanwhile, none of them were true. And if I remember, they originally are from Louisiana. And so one of the things she played on was like Hurricane Katrina just happened. So oh, all her medical records are missing. Obviously, this was before electronic, you know, all the electronic stuff or whatever. So she could easily 
bring her to a different state or whatever and be like, oh, yeah, we're from Louisiana, Hurricane Katrina, which everybody knows, yeah. you know, totally plausible. And everybody totally took pity on that as well. And it seemed like right. a completely legitimate reason to lose all her medical records and to start totally fresh with whatever Dee Dee told them. Exactly. So the cool news here, the exciting news here, is that Gypsy Rose, who was serving time in prison for her role in the murder of her mom, Dee Dee, has been granted parole. And she is going to be released in December. So it's crazy. I mean... This is really exciting, and I think we said it in the episode, and I'll say it again now. I, I, I'm on Gypsy's team here. Yeah, I think the majority of people are. I've seen – so I saw her sister, and, like, some of these reports are, like, a woman claiming to be her sister. If you see Gypsy, she's got a very unique look about her, um, and – the sister, as soon as she says it, that it's her sister, you're like, yep, she definitely is. So this is her father's daughter. Um, she's on TikTok and was talking about, I guess, you know, setting up a GoFundMe and stuff like that. And when Gypsy is released, I believe she's going to go and stay with them. So, I mean, the good thing is once she's released, she's got a support system. And pretty much all the comments, like you were saying on the TikTok, were, seem supportive. Like, Yeah, you know? as they should be. I mean, this is somebody who is a victim of circumstance and a victim of one person's selfish cruelty. And in July 2016, Gypsy pled guilty to murdering her mother. And, you know, it was a role that she played in uh, conjunction with her boyfriend at the time, her online boyfriend. Yes who I think they sort of were in cahoots together. The boyfriend kind of, you know, was very easily convinced to do this dastardly deed, um, but who could blame him? And, of course, they put Gypsy away for 10 years. Yeah. And when Gyps gets released in December, by then she's going to have served 85% yeah, of her 10-year sentence. So she already did a ton of she time. Did. Well, and another interesting thing about her, she actually got married behind bars, too, which is oh. crazy. Yes, she married a man named Ryan Scott Anderson. He's apparently from Lake Charles, Louisiana, and they got married on July 26th. So, I mean, she really, like, is coming out to a, a pretty full life starting off, which I think is good. You know, she's coming out with a support system, married, more than I can say. Um, yeah, so we're excited to kind of see. I think she's going to do well. I think this is one person where she probably got a lot of resources in prison that she might not have gotten, you know, counseling wise and whatnot for everything she's been through. So yeah, we're hoping to see, you know, the best for Gypsy. Yeah. Oh, here, here. All right. So our, our next update is probably one of the most um, well-known unsolved true crime cases in the U.S. at least. And that is John Bonet Ramsey, which we covered way back when it feels like, um, and people have been calling for this uh, for quite a while, but new DNA testing is going to be performed on stuff that was already tested in the past, way back in the past, as well as stuff, this is I think what's even more exciting, stuff that's never been tested before. So they have evidence that's never been tested. Um, they're going to repeat stuff on like fingernail clippings and stuff like that, but there's evidence that has just never even been checked for DNA. So... I know when we covered this, I am probably in the minority, especially after the, I think it was the 20th year, 20th, 25th year anniversary when all those documentaries came out. They were all pointing to Burke, which I'm sorry, just makes no sense to me that it just doesn't. 
um, that he did it and the parents covered it up. I have always been in the intruder theory. And I think anybody else that's in that camp is really hoping that this new testing will finally show, you know, who the killer was. Yeah. And it's actually so interesting because it seems like these new murder investigators um, that are taking this new DNA testing methodology into account um, in this case are really leaning towards somebody totally unrelated to the family having committed this crime. And this is really significant because Jean Benet, who at the time of her murder was six years old and a beauty queen, um, her family was not formally cleared of suspicion until 12 years after yeah. her murder. So it's a huge deal. I mean, part of her family has passed. Just a ton has happened because obviously the case is 27 years old and a lot can happen in 27 years. And it's just really interesting to think that all those people like you who have had the theory that this was done by an outsider, a totally separate person than the family members, y'all could very well be right and vindicated by this new DNA testing and this new evidence. And well, and it sounds like the police department, for whatever reason, has overturned, maybe because so much time has gone by, but the new blood in the police department over there has a lot to do with why they're willing to reopen this case and willing to reexamine things, look at the same evidence that they've looked at before in a new light, and look at brand new evidence that they've never even thought to look at before. Yeah, and um, so JonBenet's oldest brother this is the brother that um has a, a different mother from john's first marriage this is john andrew he and john have been on kind of a, a crusade the last couple of years it feels like really pushing for this new testing i know they've done media appearances where they haven't done that you know in the in the recent past um, John, I think, has gone to CrimeCon too and kind of spoken up really pushing for this and i think this change is really what it seems like based on their comments is what's pushing this forward. It seems like they're kind of all on the same page now. And, you know, they, they've agreed to do this testing. The one thing I, I, I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but it's been interesting to read some of the theories too. Um, and one of them is what if John Mark Carr, if you'll remember, he was the person that confessed to her murder. I want to say in like, I don't know, like 2006 or something like that. Um, and then he was ruled out by the existing DNA. But it would be interesting if, you know, his DNA somehow gets linked or something else that gets tested, like brings him back into the case. So I don't know. I This this is top of my list, and I'm sure a lot of other people's that I would love to see solved and just I'm so intrigued to see who did it. Um, and so hopefully, you know, in the not too distant future, maybe we'll have the answer. Gosh, I hope so. So can you remind me, because our first episode of our JonBenet series was called Duly Noted, and it was all about how there was a ransom note written to JonBenet's parents. Actually, I think they rethought what they were going to write in the ransom oh, note, right. scribbled out what they formerly wrote, which was to Mr. and Mrs. Right. And then and they said, fuck Pat, it. Patsy. Exactly. They took Patsy out of the equation and just did it to John. But 
since the note was so clearly, we thought, written by Patsy, um, you know, we had all this evidence about impressions in the pad of paper. It was written on one of her pads of paper. You could see impressions of drafts of the note. You could see that there was the fact that the ransom note demanded the exact amount of John's raise that year. It was like $113,000 or something extremely specific. There were just there was a lot of information that pointed to it being Patsy writing the note. What do you think about that? Why would she write that note if it was an outsider? No, I don't think she wrote it, truthfully. Really? I, oh, 100% I don't. I, I read somewhere or saw an interview or something, too, where the police were so biased against them. The The main thing, truthfully, that they – there were, there were two things that they really used to kind of peg it on Patsy – one of them was they said that her writing, the she, writing, she yes. couldn't be ruled out was actually how the official like finding was. But how it had been reported was that her, her handwriting matched. Well, apparently on a scale of like four to five, with five being she didn't write it, she scored a 4.5. <gasps> so she couldn't be ruled out, but like... Couldn't be ruled in yeah, either. Yeah, like she was pretty much like as far as you could be without being ruled out wow yeah so it's a lot of like how the media spun it um and then the other thing they really focused in on which i think is kind of weird was the word and hence or the phrase and hence um because apparently patsy had used that in one of their which no offense if you do this but i hate the families that send out the christmas cards with oh i hate jack is doing this and susie's doing that and um, in one of hers, she, I guess, said that a couple times. But if you read the rest of the ransom note, the person uses pretty big language, um, a pretty big vocabulary, like attache with the correct tilt, not tilde, whatever you would, you know, mark over it or whatever, like clearly not a stupid person. And no offense to Patsy, she doesn't strike me as the brightest bulb, you know, <laughs> on the Christmas tree. No pun Yeah, there you go. Um so I, I just, I, there's so many other things and you can go back to our episode and kind of listen through, but, um, there's so many other things to me that I think just point to it not being them. That is so interesting. And we definitely will have to reopen this and reexamine it. The two of us, once the information comes out and gets examined and comes into sort of the public consciousness, because it is really fascinating And especially now that Patsy is gone, it's just it's a shame that it if they do get exonerated, that it took, you know, her passing past her passing to, you know, deem her innocent, deem the family innocent. Because like you said, I mean, this all could just be confirmation bias and police and media, et cetera, could have just put all these reports out there spinning things a certain way when really it wasn't as set as things seemed yeah and I think a lot of it in the beginning was them trying to cover for themselves because if you remember they totally botched the case with like telling John to go search the house on his own right and destroying evidence and he's the one that then found her body while doing that and so and they left like one rookie in this giant I don't know, like 7,000 square foot home with the family all alone, just this one rookie to manage them. And so they they botched a lot of things. And so 
I think a lot of it was kind of to be like, look, we, we can solve that. Like, we know it's the, the parents. Like, we we know, you know, when really a lot of the evidence, if you actually look at it, in my opinion, points away from that. Wow. So interesting. So just as a transitional thing, um, JonBenet's dad actually was involved romantically with none other than Natalie Holloway's mother. And if you remember Natalie Holloway, this took the world by storm kind of when we were, I'd say, in high school or early college. you know what I was just going to say? After thinking about that, I want to say Natalie Holloway was like a year ahead of us maybe, which is weird because JonBenet is our age too. Yes, yeah. So like if they had stayed together, well, never mind. All of this would be an alternate universe. But if they had met... (laughs) And um, her daughter was alive. She would have been the age same of age Jean as Jean Benet, Benet, which is crazy. Oh my god! Yeah, that's nuts. Um, and it's just weird that these two true crime affected parents found each other yeah. in a way. I mean, this relationship is over and done with, and we think Mr. Jean Benet is <laughs> remarried. <laughs> Mr. Ramsey is remarried at this point to a different woman, um, but just an interesting thing that this romance sort of was born out of really tragic circumstances. Yeah, both losing their daughters. So the interesting recent development is that after nearly two decades, Johan Joran? Joran, almost like Joran, but Joran. Joran Vandersloot admitted finally to killing Natalie Holloway. So... As you may or may not remember, there was a longtime suspect, Joran Vandersloot, of the murder of Alabama teen Natalie Holloway. And finally, he has confessed in detail to her murder. And that's with the knowledge that her body is unlikely to ever actually get recovered, of course. Um, but if you recall the details of this story, Natalie Holloway was a teen girl who was on a senior class trip to Aruba in 2005. And this took the world by storm. I mean, all of the American public were totally invested in this case. The family was searching high and low for clues. They went to Aruba. They begged for answers from everybody they could find. And now, finally, it looks like things have been conclusively solved after Urine, who, again, was the suspect from the beginning, finally confessed to killing her. And Peru actually temporarily surrendered Vandersloot to face charges in Alabama. And then he's going to get returned to finish a 28-year prison sentence for his conviction for the 2010 murder of another yeah, young woman. Yeah, another woman. Like, it's yeah, crazy. Right? Named Stephanie Flores Ramirez. And so in Peru, he was charged twice um, in Holloway's disappearance or murder, but he was never charged for the killing. So that's weird. That's a weird sentence. Yeah, that doesn't, sentence make doesn't make sense. Um, so anyway, on October 18th, so just recently, about yeah. a week ago, Vandersloot actually pled guilty to wire fraud and extortion in a courtroom in Birmingham, Alabama. And this is from, and it's so sad, it's so messed up, but in 2010, he tried to extort money from Natalie's mother. Which is just like, good God. Yeah. Um, And that was Beth Holloway. And again, this is the the woman who had a relationship with Mr. Ramsey. And Urine actually demanded (laughs) $250,000 in exchange for information on where 
Natalie's mother could find her daughter's remains. And she ended up paying him only $25,000. But even that but is only, horrible. Like, come on. Yeah. And he gave her false information that it just gave her absolutely nothing. Ugh. And she didn't gain anything from the whole exchange. Yeah. So in exchange for getting a 20-year sentence for this extortion and wire charge, the – um. Urine agreed to provide full, complete, accurate, and truthful information about his murder of Natalie. So this is his trade-off. He's giving his confession finally in exchange for pretty much a shorter sentence based on the wire fraud instead of based on the murder. Yeah, and I got to be honest, I don't, I don't think I totally believe what he's saying. Um, the high-level kind of summary of it is what everybody expected that. He had, um, you know, been kind of pursuing Natalie, trying to get her alone with him. Um, He talked about at one point, like, you know, they were going back to, um, you know, she was going to go back to her hotel in the same car as him. But he directed the driver to drop him further off so they would have to, like, walk um, to hopefully have time to, like, sway her to, you know, go off with him. Um, at one point he got her alone, I believe on the beach somewhere and was trying to have his way with her. She resisted and it's just, it's like terrifying listening to it in his own voice. He apparently saw Cinderblock nearby and just like smashed her head in with it. Which is horrifying. And the way, even when it's written out, the way he's so cavalier about, hitting her over the head with a cinder block and smashing her face in I, uh, just like, like it's oh it's just like he's a psychopath he is but the the part that makes me kind of like i don't really believe you is he says then he essentially like dragged and kind of like pulled her body to the shallow waters and just kind of left her there yeah which to me just doesn't make sense that her body would then miraculously be washed all the way out to sea from just leaving her in the shoreline like yeah never get recovered no like remains would wash up well and the other weirdly cavalier piece of the testimony is that the andersloot says i pushed her into the ocean and then i walked home and watched porn like disgusting disgusting you murdered somebody senselessly for rejecting your sexual advances and then you just go home and watch porn but it just shows like he is just there's nothing there no emotion nothing at all yeah yeah um and so the last uh case that we're going to provide an update on is the delphi case so again another one that we covered and this is this is one that i've been following and you know i'm hoping that they'll solve but there's been a whole kind of different twist thrown into it um if you'll remember i think we did cover up to this point in our episode that richard allen had been arrested for the murder and it was all based on this i forget how it was worded but like a cartridge that wasn't shot it was like discharged um and was found under one of the bodies well the defense has now argued that um in one of their filings that the police just totally ignored a bunch of other evidence and honed in on Allen and the evidence that they provide in their filings is pretty crazy because it does um, support 
past kind of statements and speculation about posing of the girls' bodies. And a ton of info was submitted about um, how the bodies were dressed or undressed, um, kind of their, their limbs and whatnot were staged. And then even more so the use of like sticks um, to kind of create these different symbols on their bodies, around their bodies, using their bodies. And the defense is arguing that this is a part of Odinism, which is a white supremacy, I don't want to say organization, but like, because it's not, it's like a religion, I guess, or it's a um, religion. Ideology? Yeah, but it's like a, it's like a, it's not Celtic, but it's it's something like like that like kind of this almost. kind of this folk, you know, religion type of thing, and these symbols are Odinist symbols, and mm. there apparently was this one suspect that is a known Odinist, and apparently the police just totally overlooked him, didn't want to investigate that, and. I think there's even accusation of them kind of like making up evidence or, or some, something where there was definitely like mishandling missteps and whatnot. And so, you know, everybody going into it beforehand totally convinced Richard Allen is the killer. Now, after all this stuff has been released, and it's quite a bit that's been released, people are really questioning it, which I didn't think would happen at all. When when he was arrested to me, I was like, oh, they definitely like they got him. Um but I feel like now with – we still don't have the full picture, obviously. But what, what we have, um, to me, makes it more so like I think he's probably still involved. There could be other people involved too. Um, the interesting thing too that a lot of people pointed to, if you'll remember, we talked about Alan and he's a pretty small guy, like 5'5", five five, I want to say. Um And apparently a lot of this staging, especially moving the bodies and whatnot, let alone overpowering these two girls, would have been really difficult for one man to do. Um, And so that, I think, even more so than the Odinist aspects, I think all of this staging and movement and stuff like that, for him to have done that by himself, it does seem difficult to me. That definitely makes me question. Oof. It's so scary and it's so sad and um, it's really interesting because a lot has happened as close to um, a week ago in this case. In fact, Richard Allen's attorneys um, withdrew their legal representation just about a week ago now. Oh, wow. And which just goes to show you how there must be a crazy unexpected turn of events. People are thinking differently about this case. They're obviously thinking, you know, it might not have been Richard at all. Now, granted, I think it's clearly Richard was involved. I agree. And I want to say I think he probably is bridge guy. Um, Just based on all of that, I think he probably is the one. But he could have been used just to lure them down to that location as bridge guy. Yeah, yeah. And you never know. I mean, you never know what his involvement could be, how limited or how much. But if you recall, Richard Allen is a creeper. Yeah. And just some of the facts that really upset us about him were that he was found um, posing with a photo was taken of him in front of the sign that was up for looking for the, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, in front of the um, 
the composite sketch. sketch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, God. So, you know, these photos came out of Richard Allen basically in front of a police sketch of the suspected killer at the time. And it's just weird that he would ever do that without being involved in the murder. And it's weird for anybody to be so capricious and like light about the whole thing when it's a serious matter and you're literally like laughing about a police composite well and the other thing that this just was so like oof eerie to me was if you'll remember he worked at cbs um and he wasn't in like the photography department i forget he was in a more managerial position um but i think it was for one of the girls funerals or, or, or posters or something like that the family came in to get these photos printed and he said no no they're on me like he paid for you know did them did them on the house or whatever and that to me is just disgusting creepy yeah it's definitely I think at the time we talked about it as being either like an act of remorse almost yeah or like true. okay this one's on the house because I killed them yeah um or it's almost like a ha ha gotcha yeah kind of you moment. don't even know who you're working with or Ex- who you're like talking to here I'm right you think I'm being a nice guy but nope yeah so it's ugh, just really messed up and yeah. sad and hopefully more comes out about it because this Odinism connection might be the key to solving the rest of the mystery. Yeah, and um, I, I believe now that you're saying that too about the council withdrawing, uh, apparently, and, and I forgot about this because it did just come out so recently, what happened was there's this other podcast, and I think we said we're not going to bash podcasts, but there's another podcast out there um, <laughs> called The Murder Sheet, or Murder Sheets, Murder Sheet. Um, and they kind of have inserted themselves and become at the forefront of this case, apparently, and I don't know the whole chain of custody in it, because I read a whole Reddit thing on it. And it was very confusing all the different players. But apparently, somebody from the defense leaked the actual um, crime scene photos, and they made their way to the Murder Sheet podcast. And it didn't, like I said, didn't really make sense to me, but apparently they were, the somebody on the defense uh, released it to some other person and that person gave it to the murder sheet people saying, hey, I want to do the right thing or whatever, which meanwhile would have been you turn them into the police. Don't give them to like an outlet that's talking about this case on a public podcast. Right. Um, they apparently though like did do the right thing, but of course had to talk about it and say oh we got these photos but we're not going to say anything about it like all right if you really were doing the right thing you would have just turned them in and not said anything the person who i i think gave it to the murder sheet podcast ended up actually killing himself and i think this whole chain of events and obviously the defense having leaked the photos led to them led to counsel withdrawing do you think, not that I want to see them because I really don't, but do you think that those photos are readily accessible at this point because they've been leaked? I don't think they are. Um, I did see that and, and I didn't I didn't watch this guy's like, um, I guess he did like a YouTube live or whatever. Apparently the photos were not sent just to the Murder Street podcast. They were sent to some other kind of players like, you know, podcasters or whatever that 
um, have have covered this case. And the one guy, I guess, was doing a live and described them. Um, I think in part the the one of the person's motives was um, some of the descriptions of the photos that we got or like the Odinism aspects. Obviously, they were just descriptions. There was one kind of like there were a couple little sketches or whatever, but obviously they're not the actual photos. And I think part of the motivation behind somebody's, you know, um, move to release them was to debunk this and and show that like look they're saying it's this symbol but it's really not like they're just like making out this like you know smear or whatever to look like an f but it's really like a you know just a smear or whatever um but i guarantee though that they will eventually get out because this like we said this just happened and even if the murder sheet did the right thing and isn't releasing them they're out there elsewhere and I, I guarantee it won't be too long until, you know, they're out there more widely. Yeah. So apparently this Odinism is often peaceful, but some people practice animal sacrifice and ritualistic killings. And in recent years, like you said, um, some white supremacist groups actually have co-opted the religion and just made it kind of perverted with their overtly like racist ideology and it just took it over with their own ideas and it's believed that followers of this religion would have potentially ritualistically sacrificed abby williams and libby german and yeah just as you said the way that the bodies were posed the tree branches were intentionally placed in very specific patterns and arrangements it's just it's clear that a a symbol was being made and signals were being shown and yeah something was trying to be communicated here yeah and I, i i mean you know from somebody interested in following the case obviously you never want things to be compromised but it has been interesting to see there was always they were all the police were always very cryptic and very careful about what they said um about this case because they knew that people were listening to every word and interpreting every word specifically because the police were keeping so much you know um away from the public so much information so there there were comments in the past about staging and it was always very confusing because i forget the exact words they used but they were like trying to be so delicate about it that they almost left out the defining details yes and and also they like it's just the way they described it was like what are you talking about um they described it almost like as as religious but not religious and to me this makes total sense now that you see this evidence released where it's like okay, it's not, they're not doing some Catholic, you know, rich, like, it's not religion like we think religion, but it's got this, re- like, ritualistic kind of religious aspect to it. So it has been interesting to see kind of what statements in the past were correct or, like, just kind of connecting the dots and figuring out, like, what they actually meant because it, it just never made sense. Like, how could they be staged that it's, religious but not religious like but I think this kind of totally makes sense yeah and I think there's actually potential ties between Richard Allen and Odinism 
Um, the whole Odinism thing doesn't necessarily prove that Richard Allen wasn't involved or that he couldn't have been involved or that he wasn't as involved as we originally thought. Um, in fact, it sounds like Richard Allen um, claimed on a couple different occasions that, quote, they were going to kill him. And when he was asked who the they was, Richard responded by saying, the guys with the Odin patches. Oh. So at the very least, it shows an awareness of this yeah, religion. Yeah, kind of obscure. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, it is so obscure and it is so random that it's sort of, I don't know, it, it casts doubts on the separation between this yeah. creepy guy and this crazy posing of the bodies and you know in this tableau sort of scene yeah yeah exactly I know everything I've watched on this um you know people commenting on it they all start out describing what Odinism is because like nobody has heard of this really unless you know you're specifically in it so having knowledge of that coupled with the other stuff like I he at least was involved is my guess Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is Betsy Boss Podcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. 